the Blue Bloods are back with another full episode of college football content for your Thursday. We start the episode by discussing the latest and biggest news from the ACC about the upcoming 2020 season. And spoiler alert, guys, football is going to be back, at least on the East Coast. And then we're going to move to discuss the potential of multiple college football stars opting out for the 2020 season, including a big announcement for one of the biggest stars in the ACC today. We then move on to debating which program has the best DB unit in college football for the 2020 season. And of course, you already know, we wrap up the show with another recruiting update. We head back to the ACC to check in on the Pitt Panthers. So guys, we have a full show today, so let's kick it off. So, you know, the issue with recording podcasts, you know, and releasing them a day later is we sometimes miss on breaking news. Um, but luckily, we recorded this late enough today that we caught this breaking news and we had to restructure the entire show for you guys. The ACC made headlines today by announcing their plans for the 2020 season. And I don't want to say I told you guys that there will be football this fall, but I told you so. And your boy was right. The ACC will play an 11-game season, which is comprised of 10 conference games and one non-conference game. But the catch is the non-conference game must be in-state or a home game for the ACC team. So this does mean that games in Atlanta against Georgia and Virginia and Auburn UNC are canceled, but there are rumors that those games could be rescheduled. Also, Notre Dame will join the ACC this season and is and is eligible for the ACC championship, which is going to be played between the two teams with the highest conference winning percentage, which means no more divisions this season in the ACC. So the ACC probably laid the foundation for other conferences here. But Brandon, what is your take on this? And do you think other conferences should adopt this model? Um, I, You know, it's. It's football, and so I, you know, as long as we have football, I'm not going to complain too much ever. Um, I like what they're doing. You know, they're playing ten games this season. They're playing in conference, which is what it's starting to look like. It's going to happen between every single conference. I mean, the Big Ten and the ACC are now in on this. I mean, Notre Dame's even in on this at this point. Uh, they finally accepted their fate. They're in the ACC, which is going to be a big move for the ACC. That's really going to uh, that that will actually probably help the ACC's argument for a, for a playoff spot. Yeah. But that's a whole different story. Um, I mean, but yeah, in short, I think it's a great idea. You know, they're, they're able to play football. I understand, you know, you, what you said in the past about how you think it's probably best that the SEC and big 12 are holding out and waiting to see what could happen in the future. Um, so that maybe they can play an out of conference schedule as well. I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to the LSU Texas game more than anybody in this world. I just don't know if it's a possibility. Um, so I think that playing it safe, playing in conference, is maybe the best move uh, for college football at the moment. I mean, 
I certainly wouldn't complain about all in-conference football. I, I get the argument about, hey, well, how do we know, you know, this conference versus this conference, who's going to be better, you know, who has the better strength of schedule? I mean, we don't know because they've only played in-conference, but it, it's a way that we're going to have football, um, and so I'm all for it. Yeah, and I mean, I love this. I mean, I, I, we all kind of knew that it was going to be mostly in-conference, but the fact that the ACC allowed a stipulation where you still can play an out-of-conference game, I think that's the big difference between them and the Big Ten right now. And the Pac-12 as well has also went to conference only, and neither of them have had said anything about playing an out-of-conference game. And this allows for major matchups to potentially be scheduled and also allows for those SEC-ACC robberies to stay intact. I mean – we're still going to get Kentucky, Louisville. We're still going to get Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech. And then where does Florida fall? Could Florida play potentially both Florida State and Miami? Or uh, maybe depending on what the SEC does. And I think they would go with Florida State over uh, Florida State over Miami, of course. But right. I also don't think it's going to be a surprise, depending on what the SEC does, to see this Auburn-UNC game, UGA-UVA game rescheduled for either Auburn going to play at UNC this year, then after the virus, UNC paying Auburn back, coming to play in Jordan-Hare, and the same for Georgia-Virginia, or you even could have another neutral site at Bank of America Stadium in North Carolina for at least Auburn-UNC. Um, you know, and for me, I love the no divisions. I... I would love to see that league wide. I would like the SEC to get rid of them. I would like the Pac-12 to get rid of them. And I think the best two teams should play for the title, not the best two teams in each division. And, I mean, Brandon, we're both SEC guys here. How dreadful were those Alabama-Missouri matchups and Alabama-Florida matchups in 2015 and 16, which Alabama absolutely overpowered them? Let me me say this. Um, If this gives you a clue as to how bad those were, I blocked it out of my memory that Missouri ever made it to an SEC championship game. If, I mean, that that's how bad it was. I, I Missouri, blocked it out of my memory. Missouri made like a few straight because they've also yeah. played Auburn in 2013 and got beat. And Auburn yeah. set the SEC championship record for points, scoring 59 points. Yeah, it's out of my memory. Yeah, it's, those were some years that we don't want to talk about. Yeah, and I mean, so I know you said this is going to hurt the ACC in terms of playoff hopes, but I actually disagree with you here. No, 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 um, no, 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 no. I said it's going to help them. Oh, help them. Okay. I thought you said hurt, and I was like, I don't think adding Notre Dame to this conference hurts anybody in terms of no. perception or competitiveness. I mean, guys, this season, this is the games we get now. We get Notre Dame UNC. That's going to be a huge game. Notre Dame Clemson stays intact. Um, you also get the this this game I'm so excited for. I know this program isn't where it was when this robbery was at its height, but we get Notre Dame, Florida State. Oh, yeah. That's so going to be excited. an amazing game. The only game I wish we could have got was Notre Dame, Miami. I needed that, that game yeah. more than anything. Um, but I think if this works out and Notre Dame wins the ACC, the ACC needs to get on and get Notre Dame in this conference or football. I think I don't think it's gonna happen. It, that'll never happen. It it I think it's gonna have to eventually because I think the college football playoff is gonna make Notre Dame join a conference eventually. 
They it's, made the playoff. What do you mean? Yeah, and then they got to the playoff after playing nobody and got literally destroyed by Clemson. And then I mean, yeah. they made the BCS championship. And what did Alabama do to them? Did you block that game out your memory? Because I'm sure Manta Teo blocked Derrick Henry out of his memory after seeing nightmares of him getting run over. No, I remember that one. That, that was a tough one. So I, I think it's going to help Notre Dame to join a conference. I mean, I think it helps Clemson. It helps Notre Dame. It helps Miami and Florida State when those programs rebound. And I'm looking for the ACC teams right now to call some Big 12 and SEC teams and try to get some of these non-conference games to boost their playoff resume. I mean, the SEC, right after this announcement, is rumored to move to a conference-only schedule format, but the details haven't worked out, and the leaders of the SEC are meeting later this week to discuss it. I'm assuming they're going to run a very similar model than this, but with a stipulation where it allows the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 to play some out-of-conference games. I really think they're going to do that because if everyone adopts the rule that it has to be in the home state or has to be this, then what happens to a team like LSU? They literally don't have a a good opponent. They can play like Tulane. And Tulane is probably not going to be the same Tulane it was last year, so I don't know how... They'll probably schedule, you know, Northwestern again. Um, Pretty cool. It's a good game. (laughs) But I I think, you know, this this year at least, Clemson benefits the most because they get games against Miami now, which was, I believe, not on their schedule uh, before this shift. They also get Pitt. They also play at Florida State, at Notre Dame, at Virginia Tech. I don't think those are games you can scoff at and say that they played a weak schedule. That's that's five quality games right there, and we don't even know how some of these other questionable teams that are young are going to turn out. The only game I wish we would have gotten is Clemson-UNC. That would have been an amazing regular season game, in my opinion at least. And I think the ACC found its secret sauce to quiet the critics about – your conference is the weakest out of the Power Five because it's always, what, down to the Pac-12 or the ACC. But with Florida State and Miami being on the downward side, I think the ACC has been ranked as the worst Power Five conference for, what, three, four years now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd still say Pac-12, but, I mean, you you can have your own arguments. I mean, but if you look at the Pac-12, Washington, Oregon, USC, um. All three of those teams have, and Washington State, have all made runs at New Year's Six Bowls. Outside of Clemson and Miami, have we seen a team make a run at New Year's Six Bowl since Jameis Winston left Florida State? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I mean, so I think the Pac-12 has an argument. And, oh, my bad, Utah has been really good recently as well out of the Pac-12. about Utah there. That's it. Yeah, they're, they're real I, sneaky like that. <laughs> Dude, they, if they beat Oregon last year, they make the playoffs. Like, let that settle in. Yeah, that's crazy. It, it would have been LSU-Utah in Atlanta. That could have been a lot of fun, though. That could that might have been a better game than the Oklahoma yeah. game. Because at least Utah had what? They had, what, four or five defensive players drafted this you past say, draft. You, you, said I mean, they have what, you said they have what? I was like, a defense? Is that the word he's looking for? Yeah, no, I mean, Bradley Anae probably maybe could have got a sack. I don't know. But I love this model. Like Brandon said, anything that gives me football this fall, 
I'm taking. You don't have to. You don't have to sell me on it. I'll take it. I just. I need football. And I think. Okay. So Brandon, how it's been? What three weeks since the Big Ten made their statement that they're going to go to a conference holy schedule? Something like that. Yeah. Why? Why did that? So the ACC waited and still looks better than the Big Ten, who tried to jump and make a quick announcement because the ACC came out today, released all the details, all the schedules, and. But just it caught all the buzz. The Big Ten just said we're going to conference only and didn't announce a single thing. How many conference games? How are you going to readjust it? Are you getting rid of divisions? What about what about some non-conference games? The Big Ten just like I said, what I've been saying it for episodes now. They were just first you signaling. They didn't have a plan. The ACC waited until they had a plan to roll out that's tangible that we can talk about that we can see what they were thinking. The Big Ten, I don't know what they were thinking, but I think they're going to steal this model. I think the PAC 12 is going to it, the big 12, everyone's going for it. And I think this model will probably save college football this fall. And guys, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but in about a month now, college football looks like it's probably going to be on our TV screens. And I, it, I, I told y'all so, but I know a lot of people are probably really, really are just surprised about that. Right. Uh, it's, it doesn't feel real. Um, I thought, you know, I for sure thought, and, and coronavirus is still a thing. Don't forget that. But I thought that it was going to ruin football, that it was going to ruin sports. And so it's, it's refreshing to see that this might actually happen. <laughs> right. But, guys, we're going to go ahead, move on here. Um, and it's along the similar lines. But, you know, the NCAA is moving closer and closer. I believe they even released a waiver for states to be able to – or schools to be able to start – on August 31st for football. And we see leagues, you know, really trying to make it work. And they're working out a lot of unknowns for college football. I mean, we just saw the Marlins. They had to cancel multiple games due to what? Over 14 positive COVID tests this week. While Dude, another yeah. s- another six Patriot players uh, opted out of the NFL yesterday due to concerns about their health and family members. Um, and, you know, Many experts expect most star players to sit out this upcoming season in college football due to COVID. And today, the first domino fell. We had Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. He's a DB. Announced he would forego his senior season um, to prepare for the NFL draft and that he didn't feel comfortable playing due to seeing multiple NFL players opt out of their season. He's He is a projected first-round pick. And... That brings into question, will other stars such as Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, um, Panay Suwell, are they going to opt out as well? So, Brandon, your take on this, and let's just say, if you were a college football player, would you opt out of the season? Um, I, you know, i definitely consider it, but I don't think that I would, uh, which is also what I'm kind of leaning toward for these players. Uh, you know, this has been one player – uh, that that's made news about it anyway, that has decided he's not going to play this upcoming season, which I mean, you know, more power to him. If you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know your favorite argument in the world is when they sign that letter of intent, they sign to play for four, three or four seasons with this team. It's really four. I don't know why we say three or four. They, they say they're going to play for this school for four seasons. Um, and then you know the uh, we we see Bosa sit out, you know, for the majority of his junior season. He still goes in the first round because he's a stud. 
uh, which, I mean, this kid's going to go in the first round as well, more than likely. But, I mean, if we keep seeing this more and more often, I, I really think that with a couple of exceptions, um, NFL teams are going to start looking at this with, like, like a jaded lens. You know, they're, they're not going to be looking at this in a good light. They're going to want to look at the players that, you know, because, like I said, coronavirus is a thing. We don't know how long it's going to last for. We don't know how long these regulations are going to be for. And who knows if by next season it, it's going to be better. I mean, for, for all we know, it could get worse. We, I mean, we can't see in the future is what I'm saying. Um, and, and so I think that these NFL teams are probably going to want to take kids in the draft uh, that are committed to their teams, kids that you know want to play. And like I said, that's with the exception of a few players. I mean, I don't think anyone's overlooking Trevor Lawrence if he decides to sit out this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I'm saying is that you know, with that in mind, I think a lot of players end up playing this season because they do have that doubt in their mind where they're like, well, you know, my draft stock may fall. My, you know, my salary might go from X amount to, you know, another amount. Um, My signing bonus will lower significantly. And so I think that that's going to be a big motivating factor for this upcoming season. I think that we're going to see a lot of players that are I don't even want to say opting in. We're going to see a lot of players that are going to play this upcoming season. I agree. I think, I think, I, I, so I think there will be more announcements. Um, I don't think he's going to be the only player who opts out, but I don't like his comparison to NFL players. I'll get to that in a second, but I do want to start. Like I know you said, my favorite thing is they sign a national letter of intent. This isn't a normal thing. This isn't a normal circumstance. So I'm not going to shame any kid who makes a business decision or a health decision to sit out because we don't know if they have a family member at home that's sick, that we don't know if they have an underlying condition, just had a kid, et cetera, et cetera, you know, because in a normal circumstance, their girlfriend could be on campus with their kid or just off campus. And like here, that might not be the case. So this is totally different than a normal circumstance. Bosa is completely different. Bosa, I have very strong opinions about that. He's still really irked me that he set out for the not that he set out the fact that he just went home but you know let's let's look at the facts here i mean for first brandon do you think testing at these universities are going to be top of the line better than you could probably get anywhere else absolutely yes and the protocols in place for positive tests and how to handle it are probably uh what would you say some of the best i mean they'd have to be yeah okay and we've seen great things for most schools. I mean, a lot of SEC schools have had, what, only a handful of tests? Right. That come back positive. And listen, I know what one of our listeners are going to do. They're going to say, well, look at Rutgers. They had like 20 people test positive and they had to cancel workouts. Well, guess what, guys? I don't want to hear it. It was reported today that the players on that team threw and or went to an off-campus party and did not follow any social distance protocols or wear masks or anything like that. And that's on them. That That's probably why Rutgers sucks. Um, let's just be honest. No discipline. That was a dumb decision. And that's why no one cares if Rutgers plays football this year. But back to the thing. It, so for me, though, like the reason this kind of question, that why I don't think a lot of people are going to opt out, I mean, isn't it safer on campus with all these protocols and testing and, uh, I guess, treatment options for these student athletes? Where else could you possibly be that's any safer? Yeah, uh, that's a very good point. I mean, there's going to be all kind of 
protocol, all kind of safety measures, you know, that are intended to keep these kids safe. And if someone someone gets it, do you think they'll get better treatment anywhere else? No, absolutely not. And okay. So I know some people are like, okay, well, why did you get mad that he compared it to the NFL? Well, the NFL players are making this decision because when they leave the facility, guys, they have to go home and live with their family. That right. These college kids don't do that. So where an NFL player, like I believe it was what Dante Hightower just uh, opted out. And so did Patrick Chung. And it's because they both just had uh, what eight month year old kids or something like that. They newborns pretty much. And they're like, Hey, we don't know the direct effects on newborns. And my dad is like 80. He's high risk. Like, uh, I believe another player for the Patriots had uh, asthma and was like, hey, I need to opt out because if I get this, I could be in potential danger. Anything like that, that's fine. But these kids, after they leave practice, meetings, the facility, not only are they socially distancing there, having to wear masks, they're pretty much self-quarantining, right? They go to right. their dorm or at least uh, – so in Auburn, the dorms, there's two – two people in a dorm, but they each have their own separate rooms and they're, they're I guess conjoined by a living room slash half, half kitchen. So they're pretty much can social distance all the time. And if you're getting tested every day and no one's testing positive, who cares if the roommates run into each other as long as they're not leaving. Um, so I feel like that's a huge difference. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but I mean, do you see like why I think that was a really, really bad comparison? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, but I do think this is the first domino to fall. Um, you know, let's look. Okay. This is, this is going to come off really, really bad. And I just want to say, uh, this is not a shot at Virginia tech, but I've, I think m- more athletes from these programs that might be good, but Virginia tech's not making the college football playoff. No, um, so if you have a first round grade already, like Kayla Farley does, why not go train? And why are you putting your health on the line for a belt bowl appearance? Yeah, uh, you've got an excellent point. So I, I see why someone like him are going to sit out, but I don't see Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields sitting out because they have an amazing shot at another national title. I mean, as good as Kayla Farley is as a first round talent, He's probably already left behind as big of a legacy as he is. Trevor Lawrence is going for maybe the greatest player of all time award. Uh, yeah. You know, Panay Wells might be the best offensive lineman of all time. I mean, these guys have tangible legacy things to play for. And if I'm Trevor Lawrence, do you want your last game to be that LSU game on tape? No, no. If you're Trevor Lawrence, you're going to go out and show out this season. There's a reason. I mean, it, I think, I truly think that if Trevor Lawrence was going to sit out, he would have announced that by now because I agree. It doesn't, like I agree. I said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if he plays this season, you know, he's, he's the first overall pick and that's, that's really not a debate. No. And I mean, I, I don't see anybody from these, uh, okay. Top tier SEC programs. So someone from Arkansas set out, okay, I got you. It's a first year head coach. Y'all are probably going to get slaughtered every game. So I got you, but you know, I don't. I also think players who are in their senior year aren't going to sit out. Why would you want to miss your senior year? 
No, you came back like, for your senior season for a reason too. Exactly. Like, that like so even though it might be a little different because of COVID, there might not be as many fans. Hopefully there's some fans, but we'll see on that. That's the next big announcement everyone's waiting on. I don't think there's gonna be fans, but we'll see. Um you know, and like Brandon said, would I sit out? Uh, probably not. I mean, Brandon, I, I know you also have been going to work. I mean, I've been going to work for much less fame and potential money than these college football players would be pay, would be playing for. So I don't know if it's a fair comparison because if you ask me right now if I would go play football, I would sign up for it in a second rather than doing what I'm doing. Yeah, no, accountants don't make millions of dollars a year. That's that's for sure. <laughs> but how much is your name, image, likeness worth, man? No, oh, like I, I'd probably have to pay you to pretend to, be <laughs> to check out your Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I so I think there's going to be a handful of athletes to sit out. It's it's probably going to be people with underlying health, you know, cases, or they have a really, really, really at risk family member, or they just don't like, or they just can't benefit off of it. I mean, if you had a player who had an outstanding season, has a first round grade, and he can't live up to that. Hey, take a year off, right? Leave your best film out there. I mean, you don't think there's a wide receiver out there who had an amazing year, lost their starting quarterback, and is like, eh, can I really put up numbers like that again? Right. I I, I mean, I'm just saying, but I don't think any – I don't think – so there was somebody for Bleacher Report, I believe, that said he talked to – it was like some of the top – 10 prospects in the draft, which I'm assuming Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields and uh, Trey Lance and Panay Sewell and uh, who who else would be up there? Dylan Moses, Jamar, maybe Jamar Chase. Yeah. Jamar Chase. And he said that over half of them said they might sit out. And I just don't believe that. See, I, the second that you said a wide receiver who just lost their starting quarterback, that hurt me, Zach, because I know who you're talking. I know you're talking about Jamar Chase and you don't think I've been thinking about this for like a week now. <laughs> that maybe he's going to sit out. This well, is the perfect it, opportunity. It, it wasn't even just Jamar Chase. It was like Jamar Chase. What about Devontae Smith? They just lost two attack of Aloha. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I must say there's a there's a bunch of schools that lost their quarterbacks, you know, to the draft. Or I mean, Georgia. I mean, like let I mean let's be honest here. I mean, George Pickens put up a really good year, but if Jamie Newman doesn't turn out to be what he, what he's projected to be, George Pickens could really suffer. No, because he's still got JT Daniels. If, if, yeah, well, well, well that's going to that's gonna be a topic on one of our upcoming episodes about uh, since JT Daniels is eligible, who do we have uh, starting for Georgia? But, you know, uh, I just – I really just don't see – I really don't see that many of the top ten prospects in the draft sitting out. And do they just is, – is that accurate? It's to be seen, but I agree with you that if Trevor Lawrence or someone like that was sitting out, it would have been announced. They wouldn't be on campus working out already if they planned on sitting out. Because right. Clemson's been in camp for what, like two or three weeks now? Or more? Yeah. I mean, so I, I just don't see that. But, guys, we're going to go ahead move on here. Third segment of the day. It's one we've had on the podcast before, our best of the best for positional units for next season and you know check out recent episodes to hear us break down a bunch of other positions uh but in case you're new brandon and i will be picking two programs that we think have the best positional unit for next season and today we're going to move to db we grouped cornerbacks and safeties in together because 
a lot of schools, their safeties play slot corner and their corners can slot, they, they move around a lot, especially in these complicated defensive schemes we see today. So we just grouped it all together. So Brandon, I'll let you start. I know you don't order yours, so just give me one of your two best DB units in the country. All right, I'll go ahead and give you the one that I know a little bit less about, but I know that they deserve to be here. Uh, Zach, and you're going to love to hear this name because you love this school, but maybe not for their defense. Uh, so I'm going to have to point out Oregon for a second because Thank you. Oregon. Thank you. Oh, okay. They're, well, they're my number one. There we go. Let's go ahead and talk about them then. I guess you're going out of order too. I feel like we do this every single week. I, I honestly didn't think you had Oregon. So I thought I was going way off the grid here for my number one team. I can do my research sometimes. Okay. I got you. I mean, well, it's also hard to miss Oregon when they return every single player in their secondary. Well, (laughs) it's it's not like, it's not even that they just returned everybody. It's, it's the magnitude of players that, that are returning. I I mean, first of all, obviously they've got Javon Holland, who I guess everyone is probably looking forward to. Uh, One of the greatest receivers in college football for this upcoming season. I'd say he's probably, a pretty close second, Derek Stingley, um, in my honest opinion. That's coming from an LSU fan, by the way. Um, uh, but yeah, a very close second to Derek Stingley at the cornerback position. I, I think it. I think it might be neck and neck. I mean, guys. I mean, everyone here who follows our website knows I drop the top players in each conference. Uh, the Pac-12 is coming next week. I've been working on it. Javon Holland's on that list, and I only yeah. pick like six or seven, and Javon Holland's up there. Um, Brandon, you'll like this because it supports what you just said. Pro Football Focus last year ranked Holland the third most valuable defensive back, and he was only behind Derek Stingley and Christian Fulton, both out of LSU. There we go. And also, if you want to keep going, I mean, Holland is one of only three players to post four or more interceptions in the past two years. Last year, he has 66 total tackles, four interceptions, four passes defended, and return one for a touchdown. And for me, he's probably... So Stingley does stay on the outside more. I would feel comfortable saying that Javon Holland is the best slot corner slash safety in the country and is going to be a first-round pick next year. Right, and I was going to say the word slot corner, but I didn't want you to I didn't want you to, uh, to clown me for that. So I, I no, no, that's that's a, that's a re- that's a real thing because Holland's main like original position is safety, but they moved him inside the slot corner because we'll get to their safeties because their safeties are outrageous as well. But I don't think we can keep talking about Oregon without mentioning their two senior outside corners that each have started for three years in Thomas Graham Jr. and I, I don't even know how to say this kid's first name. Uh, I don't want even want to mess it. We'll just go with Lanier as his last name. <laughs> but, you know, in his career, Graham is the I, I think is the better corner of the two. But he's racked up over 183 total tackles as a corner, 10 and a half for loss, eight interceptions, a touchdown. And he's defended 32 passes in three years, Brandon. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's outrageous. Very impressive. And, yeah. And, and Lanier has 123 total tackles, five interceptions, 21 passes defended. And so just those three guys, you look at slot corner and the two boundary corners, Oregon has the most experience and probably the deepest corner unit in the country. And 
that's not even including Mikel Wright, the nickel corner, who had 11 games experience as a freshman last year and really impressed scouts and is going to step into Javon Holland's role when he leaves. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And like I said, I don't have a lot to say about Oregon. I saw they had every single player returning, basically, and I knew how good they all were. You know, I looked at their stats. Um, I'm not a smart guy, though. Like I said, Zach's the smart guy. Zach can explain (laughs) everything. Uh, I'm just here for for moral support. And let's not forget, I mean, there's safeties. I mean, we had the – I'll explain why I had Oregon over my number two team, which I think a lot of people thought was going to be number one. Um, You know, at safety, they have the Rose Bowl MVP, Brady Barisi, and another senior in Nick Pickett, both of them ranked top 10 in pro football focus as returning safeties in the entire country. So Oregon has two of the top 10 safeties in the entire country. And Brandon, you want to get a crack at this? Holland, Graham, Lanier, and Wright all rank in pro football focus, top 25 rec- returning cornerbacks in the country. That That's wild. So four that's- of the top 25 and two of the top 10 safeties. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. And for me, so I think number two, my, my number two team has just as much talent and probably even more potential, but the experience here gave Oregon the nod for me as number one. And this is why I'm so high on them is because they have experience at every position but quarterback. Quarterback is literally the only if, – if Justin Herbert had one more year of eligibility, I don't think Oregon could be beat. I really don't. And – I really like Tyler Shaw, but he's going to have to grow up fast because this team is too good not to make it to the playoffs this year. And for me, they have they have the most experienced talent potential in the back end of their defense. And for me, as much as I love this number two team, which I'm sure Brandon also has on his list, they are unequivocally number one, and there's not even a team that should be above them, in my opinion. But I think there's just one player – in my number two team that why people want to put them above and I, Brandon, I'll let you go ahead and say it. Cause I know we have number two, the same. Hey, fighting tigers. We're talking about LSU. Let's go with Derek <laughs> Stingley. Number one. Yeah, buddy. Yep. They're Derek number two. Stingley, Derek Stingley has to be on this list. And if he would have been the only player mentioned on this list, I mentioned him during the Oregon segment. So, you know, he's going to be in this segment a lot. Derek Stingley, just in this past year alone, because he's only going to be a true sophomore this season had 31 tackles, 21 pass breakups, and six uh, interceptions. Zach mentioned that list of the players who had four interceptions over the past two seasons. Derek Stingley had six last season. Kerry Vincent Jr. had four last season. Uh, Add on to that, 47 tackles, two tackles for loss, and 13 pass breakups this past season. You've got two defensive backs that are, I don't want to say unmatched, because Oregon can pretty much match them. but but they're up there for sure. And and LSU's talent runs super deep too. You know, it's not just those two players. Those are the ones that everyone likes to highlight. We've also got Cardale Flott. Uh there's there's um Jacoby Stevens, obviously, who returned with eighty five tackles I, this past season. I was about to throw a hand through this mic because I, I thought Jacoby Stevens should be the next name out of your mouth before you mentioned Kerry Vincent. Jacoby oh, Stevens Kerry. is arguably the best safety in college football. No, you're and you're absolutely right. I only have Kerry Vincent. I, I mentioned him first because he had more interceptions, and I was talking about interceptions at the time that I transitioned. 
Um, <laughs> but but not, you you know you don't only have these players that I've that I've already mentioned. You've got freshmen coming in. You've got two four star freshmen um, in uh, in Dwight McLaughlin and uh, and Jordan Tolls, and then you have a five star in Elias Ricks. I mean, this okay. LSU team is deep as it can get. And when, so I, <laughs> when you started when, you when you started with the four stars, I thought you just forgot about Ricks, and I was like, Brandon, you didn't even mention the best player y'all have, <laughs> arguably uh, in the recruiting class. Zach, I don't uh, listen. I already, I already told you that you're probably the smart guy when it comes to LSU football. I got it. Um, <laughs> you I mean, got I'll, it. I'll, I'll mention every single player if you want me to, but I'll, I'll give you some time <laughs> to talk about these players. Ah, man. Derek Stingley Jr., man. Uh, Listen, he's the best cornerback in the country. It's not close. Uh, You know, watching his film, because I did watch the film uh, when I was doing this segment, just so I can get a feel for some of these players that I haven't seen play in a while. I don't think I've seen a cornerback in a long, long time have the pure instinct to react like Derek Stingley does. And he, and the, what makes him so dangerous is he has the athleticism and playmaking ability to when, when he reacts to that instinct and it's right, he can make any quarterback in the country pay. I mean, I, I cannot even put into words how much I like this kid. I mean, Brandon mentioned his stats, Brandon, I, I want to get into some advanced stats for you. He limited quarterbacks to 42% completion percentage and only allowed 29 catches on 69 targets. Nice. And nice. <laughs> and oh this this is the craziest stat. Every wide receiver he was matched up with last year, he only allowed one wide receiver all season to gain over 51 yards last year. Yeah, and you want to know why? Because because he wasn't looking. Yeah, the Devante Smith put up 200 on him, but the next closest is 51, and it was um, and it was the Florida game. He got put 51 yards on, but I believe it was um, Kyle Pitts, the tight end slash wide receiver to, for Florida, put yeah, up 51 and, yards on him. And like I said, to be totally fair with Devontae Smith, about 97 of those came from a play where he was looking at the sideline. <laughs> yeah, because the coach distracted him. Yeah, yeah, you get mm. it. And Dave Aranda you know, said, guess what? Look over here. <laughs> he was like, listen, man, you are bullying this future NFL wide receiver. You got to give him at least one catch. <laughs> um, but you also can't talk LSU DBs without mentioning Jacoby Stevens. I was upset that Brandon didn't mention him second. I, um, him. I, I know, I know. But this guy in this film reminds me so much of Jamal Adams that it's scary. Zach, he had five sacks as a safety. He had five I, sacks. I, I don't understand. I mean, because I think he's better in pass covers than Jamal Adams, and I think he has all the, I think he has all the ability to be violent in the box and uh, make plays, tackling and blitzing. And I think that's what makes Jamal Adams so special. I mean, because when you look at NFL safeties, yes, Derwin James and Mika Fitzpatrick are probably better covered safeties, but I think Jamal Adams could be the best in the box safety in the NFL. And right. I think you get more of that with Jacoby Stevens than you do, you know, coverage wise. But I mean, he's still a great coverage safety, but I think he's better in the box. And, you know, he was the SEC defensive player of the week three times last year. Impressive. And including the Auburn game, which really saved LSU season. 
Um, and you know, the, this is the reason LSU is number two for me because I'm Kerry Vincent's really good, but I don't think he's better than any of the guys Oregon brings back. Um, but I think LSU like Clemson, Clemson uh, against Miami, at least Clemson had a lot of freshmen that are unproven compared to Miami's experience. And I think this is what drags LSU down is that yes, um, Ricks is really, really good. He's a former five-star number one player in the state of Florida, but he hasn't played a lick of college football. So how do you put him over someone like Javon Holland? I don't think you can right. yet, but listen, Ricks two top state champion at in California before he transferred to IMG. And he looks a lot like Stingley in terms of athleticism, but I just don't think he has the same explosion playmaking ability, but I think he still can develop into a shutdown court corner. And I I believe you mentioned this kid's name. I don't remember, but Jordan tolls. I also really, really like, um, and I think he like Jacoby Stevens resembles a lot of Jamal Adams as well. And he, I'm telling you, he had 19 sacks, Brandon, as a safety. Which is insane. In Should one season. <laughs> in high school, but yeah. I'm not going to knock again. Dog, in one season, you got 19 sacks <laughs> as a good. safety? Pretty, Dude, that's we do good. the we do the recruit. Listen, I, I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna foreshadow here. I'm sorry, guys. Um, we're covering Aaron Donald's nephew in the next segment, and he you didn't stole, even have 19 sacks. You stole my thunder right there because I was gonna I was gonna come out I was gonna I was gonna come swinging out the gate with that. Okay, I I listen. I don't even think Aaron Donald himself had 19 sacks in high school, <laughs> and you're gonna tell me the safety got 19 sacks. No, I mean, it's good. And I, I, I need listen. this verified because I got this from the LSU athletic site. I don't know if I can trust these people down in Baton Rouge because that doesn't even sound real. Well, we don't we don't really know how to count or do math. I mean, we get that, but it's, I, I, mean, I think I mean, Tolls is from Maryland and I, LSU stole him right out of Big Ten territory. And you don't think Ohio State, Michigan and Penn State wanted this kid. This kid is really really good and i cannot wait and i think tolls and ricks are both going to get major playing time next year and for me i think ricks starts i know that's controversial i think ricks is a better cornerback than carrie vincent and i think ricks takes over for christian fulton who went to the nfl yeah no i and i can definitely see ricks uh coming in as a starter for this upcoming season um you know he's a player who has a lot of potential. I mean, obviously a five star uh, coming out of high school. That's the same thing Derek Stingley was this past season. You know, Derek Stingley is one of the highest rated recruits in LSU history, um, and Elias Ricks is right up there with him. So I wouldn't be shocked at all to see the two five star recruits going out on the field and starting at some point this season. It might not be game one, but it, it, it it's probably coming pretty soon. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so. That breaks down the cornerbacks. That's a wrap for that segment. I don't think you'll want to hear us break down the best kicking units or anything like that. But we might. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. We might have some kicker fans out there. But as we usually do, you guys know what's coming. We are going to end the show with an exclusive recruiting update. Uh, check out any of our episodes since like February to catch up on updates from all around the country, guys. Um, today, we're going to head back to the ACC we're going to look at the Pitt Panthers 2021 class. They're trying to improve upon a f- number 44 ranked class last season. 
and head coach Pat Narduzzi is looking to continue to build Pitt into an ACC contender. This class is headlined with five top 600 recruits, and they're still fighting for some more of pretty elite recruits. So, Brandon, what is your take on this class, and do you see Pitt eventually moving up into the upper tier of the ACC soon? Yeah, honestly, I do. Um, you know, look at the recruiting. It's obviously it's, it's not going to compete with Clemson. It's not really competing with North Carolina this year. But they're number 27 nationally. You know, that's nothing that we need to sit here and, like, skim over. I mean, I think that's very impressive, especially when they're getting recruits like Elliot Donald. You already mentioned him earlier. Uh, Aaron Donald's nephew. Um, he's out of Pittsburgh. I mean, he, he, he grew up in Pittsburgh, graduated high school there. Now, or well, he's, I guess he didn't yet. He's still in high school, but um, he, he's about to. So he's, 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 I think he's Pitt's newest recruit. Um, and he was choosing between schools like LSU and Ohio State and then Pitt. He, he, he's going to Pitt, like his uncle. Um, and, and so we've got other players too. I, I mean, obviously there's a lot of, that stand out. Pitt right now has four. I'm sorry, two four-star recruits, uh, 15 three-star recruits, which, like I said in the last episode, those three-star recruits aren't anything to skim over either. Uh, that's very impressive. I, I mean, I, I mean, Pitt's got what? I, I believe it's, um, I want to say, 13 recruits in the top 1,000. That's, I mean, that's insane. I mean, that's great for Pitt. And, and that's coming from this past season where I don't think that their recruiting class was awful by any means, where, where they went when they placed 44 uh, nationally and they placed eighth in the ACC. But I mean, at, at, you know, over this past season, they only had 18, uh, 18 commits or 18 signees. They've got 17 commits right now. And December is still five months away. Uh, and then, uh, February is seven months away. So, I mean, there's plenty of time for more recruits to start rolling in for Pitt. Uh, but right now, I think they've got, I mean, just an insane start. Yeah, they've done great. I mean, Narduzzi is doing an excellent job of recruiting Pennsylvania, which I'm not surprised at. But I'm even more impressed by his presence in states like Georgia and Florida. I mean, five of their 17 commits are from those two states, which are loaded with elite talent that – these SEC programs down there, ACC programs can't take them all. So finding gems that these SEC programs or ACC programs are looking over, bro, get them. And I, I believe outside, I think, yeah, my underrated prospect is from Georgia. I think they're doing a great job of finding those gems. Um, and I feel like the biggest thing of this class is, I don't know about you, Brandon, they look like they're loading up on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they really are. Four of their top six players in the class are on that side of the ball. And I think this is important because we're seeing more and more dynamic offenses come to the ACC. I mean, you see what Clemson and UNC are projected to do this year. They have two of the most elite quarterbacks in the country. And Jamie Newman just left Wake Forest. And Virginia Tech's not too far removed from having a really, really good offense. So I think that's important when you want to compete. In the ACC, you have to have something to throw at those teams to try to stop them from scoring 40, 50 points in a game. I mean, we saw when Pitt faced Clemson in the ACC championship, they didn't have anything for them, not a single thing. And I think this is going a long way. So I know we probably are both going to cover this kid, but their top prospect, a top 120 player, you already mentioned his name, 
Elliot Donald, nephew of Aaron Donald. He's the number nine defensive tackle in the country. And I, you know, as much as everyone's like, oh, that probably was a guarantee because Aaron went there. And it's like, it really wasn't. I mean, this kid was getting recruited nationally by a lot of big teams. Yeah, he was. Uh, and like I said, LSU was one of his final choices. And he went to Pitt, you know, which is, I, I mean, that's that's a testament in and of itself. I mean, if you're getting, you know, if you're getting offers from the LSUs of college football, from the Ohio State's of college football, I mean, programs like this, I mean, you can play with the best of them, you know, and so I think that Pitt's got a real gem in him. Yeah, and, you know, this could be a little bit controversial, I guess, you know, watching his film, studying up on him before this segment. I think he's going to move inside. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, I, I think it's 6-2. He's on the shorter side for dominant defensive ends. I mean, you see Gregory Rousseau's like, what, 6-7? Quincy Roche is 6-5. Um Xavier Thomas is what six four and a half, so I think six two is a little small to be an edge rusher, especially in this conference. And he already weighs two fifty to two sixty, which gives him even more room to grow and add more muscle to his frame. And I think if he adds that weight, he's going to be really, really dominant on the inside. I mean, he has the bend and arm length to be an edge rusher, but I think it can make him even more versatile on the inside because those inside linemen seem to struggle more with the finesse rush um, compared to the bull rush. So I think I think Donald has a real shot there at defensive tackle. And in really and truly, I mean, Brandon, I know you know this with LSU. Auburn does this. These defensive linemen have to be able to play all across the defensive line. They have to play outside. They have to play inside. They got to play nose. Um, and I think Donald has the ability and the bill to really generate pressure and make plays from anywhere you put him on the defensive line. And if you're in a pass rushing situation, you can kick him inside and put an edge rusher in, and he's still going to get to the quarterback. So I, I really think Donald is a huge pickup for Pitt here. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, and, you know, we, we like to cover some other players uh, when we do this, and I'm not going to do what I usually do. Usually right after I pick out like my breakout player, like obviously the number one or number two player in the class, I skip right to my underrated player. I'm not going to do that this time. Um, I saw another player I really liked a lot, and that's Malik Newton. He's a running back uh, out of Virginia that, that has committed to Pitt recently. Um, and this kid looks like a bowling ball when he runs the ball. Uh, Zach, I don't know if you had time to, uh, to watch his film. But <laughs> it, it, it's insane. He's like a bowling ball that is set like on a hill. So like he because he's very fast too. Like he's quick and he can move, but he's not going down on the first touch ever. Like he he's bowl. I mean he's bowling through uh, defenders. It's crazy. I don't understand how he does it. <laughs> I mean I, I I took a look at you know most of the recruits in their class trying to pick you know my underrated prospect, but I think this is a good pick. I mean he is built. Like you said, a rock. I mean, he's what, a 5'11", 230-ish, something like yeah. that. And like you said, he does not go down on first contact. And I think this kid has a real future. I mean, we've seen Pitt have success with a wide variety of running backs, but it it's always helps to have that running back you can count on in short yardage and to really run in between the tackles. And I think this kid is the perfect fit for Pitt here. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I have two players, you know, I usually cover, we usually cover the top two players in the class and then do underrated, but 
You know, I want to talk about a player first from Homestead, Pennsylvania. He's going to join Donald on that defensive line, and that's Nikai Johnson. He's yeah. the number 20 weak side defensive end, 254th national. And listen, I know this might piss some Pitt fans off, but I think Johnson has m- more potential than even Donald watching his okay. film. I mean, I see a real future for this kid at Buck and possibly even outside linebacker, just depending on how he develops, because I think he's that athletic. You know, watching his film, he really pops for me just on his explosion off the ball and just his his motor runs high all the time. He is relentless going uh, when he rushes to pass or goes or, or against the run. I think his play style fits what Pitt wants to do on defense. He plays hard-nosed physical football, and that's what I think of when I think about Pitt defense. Um, I think he's able to play multiple positions. He's able to step back into coverage and play a linebacker position. He's able to rush off the edge and buck, and I think he's fast enough to really punish some slower interior um, offensive linemen. And, you know, I would love to see him add a bit more weight, but I don't want to see him lose that speed or quickness, if that makes any sense. I mean, if you're going to add weight, make sure you keep that athleticism that makes him so dominant. Um, I don't know, Brandon, if you got to, if you had a chance to watch his film, but he just looks outrageously too fast for offensive linemen in his state. Well, I think, um, he, I think he played outside linebacker too. Yeah, no, I he played. He, he, yeah, he played. He played like Buck outside linebacker and DN. Like he played all over the place. Got it. And man, they put him uh, off the edge. He made an inside move, and the the offensive tackle, whoever the kid was, he was playing, literally looked like he saw a ghost. Like he didn't even understand what was happening before um, this kid was hitting the quarterback. It was that elite. And you know, I don't know how competitive his region is, but regardless, I think he has a lot of potential and. I think he can develop into a mid-round NFL draft pick. And if Pitt continues their long, their I guess their long history of developing elite defensive linemen, then I think this kid can make a run as a first-round pick. Um, and I'm looking for ACC quarterbacks to be running from Donald and Johnson, which, and I think this gives Pitt one of the brightest futures at defensive line that we've covered so far, or so far at least. Right. No, and, you're right. Yeah, and I really, really like this kid. I really do. But listen. I'm real excited about this kid, though. When when I like found out what he was ranked, because I've actually heard about this kid before, just reading and studying. I I remember him committing to Pitt now. Um, this kid, uh, two four seven, just I believe it was not too long ago, upgraded him to a four star, but he's still technically a three star in the composite because ESPN is way low on this kid. Um, okay. And his name is Khalil Anderson. He is the 571st national player, number 43 cornerback out of Atlanta, Georgia. 247 has him in the top 20 cornerbacks. That's how much of a difference this is in the composite from 247. Um, Last season, Brandon, 41 total tackles, 7 interceptions, 15 pass breakups, and he was also first-team All-State in Georgia. That's crazy. And... I don't want to have to get on uh, ESPN again like we like we do from time to time. But uh, who who let them rank recruits? I don't understand I don't know. it. Uh, like it's bad. I, I don't know if that, this could be bad. I mean, I can name countless two four seven scouts. I can't name a single ESPN scout in terms of college right. football recruiting. 
Yeah, and that, that, that's a testament to that. Zach, Zach, he researches more recruiting than anybody in this world. <laughs> just in my free time, I have like a problem. I love reading about recruiting more than anything, just watching random film. But, um, you know, listen, guys, I, I've watched some good film. You know, uh, if I had to put rank this kid, I mean, he'd be up there with I, I'm, I'm losing their names. But um, the the Notre Dame quarterback who I said is going to be what the, the best quarterback in college football. He's right up there with that kid, um, you know. A few episodes ago, we talked about a punt kick return that I'm really high on. But listen, Anderson's the real deal, and his film just blew me away. I watched it like three or four times today while I was on my break at work um, studying for this. And, you know, I just I want to say this. This kid is a top 15, if not a top 10 quarterback in this class. And right. I think he is going to be a big piece in Pitt's plan to win the ACC eventually. I'm sure Narduzzi is building for that. Watching film, though, his instincts and ball skills are just ridiculous. I mean, I'm talking about just below Derek Stingley level is how well he reads quarterback's eyes. So you're, it, you're very high on this kid. Super, super high. I mean, Brandon, there were times where he broke on a ball or a receiver that it looked like he knew the play and the wide receiver didn't. That's why. And – I, I was just, I was mind blown because Georgia has such elite talent that it's really hard for a kid to pop out on film like that. And I know they do all the stupid things where it points out where they are on the field. They didn't have to have that. I knew exactly who he was. And for me, you can't teach instinct to a DB. And if a kid like him has it, you got to chair. You got to you got to put that into action. I mean, like you don't think you could teach Derek Stingley's ball ball skills, can you? Like no, no, Dave Aranda could take a random kid who has a lot of talent but lacks instinct. You could work with them every day until he was too old to play football. Like let's just say fifty, <clears throat> you can never teach him how to how to do that. And I really like Anderson. Listen, guys, he does not have a recorded forty time. I would put this podcast on it that he runs a sub four five, maybe even sub four four forty. That's how fast he looks on film. Right. This kid looks elite speed, but since he's such a lower rate of recruit, it's really hard to find stats for them. I couldn't find anywhere where his 40 time was recorded. But for me, he so there's a difference between 40 time and field speed. He plays like a 4-3 40 on the field, and that's why he's gaining so much attention from SEC programs. South Carolina, Arkansas, I think Auburn even is talking about offering him. Georgia, all these programs are starting to really look at this kid and offer him. And he came out and said he was 200% committed to Pitt. Um, and I think Anderson already can shut down an entire side of the field. And he should, in my opinion, start day one for the Pitt Panthers next year. I really, yeah. I really believe that. And the fact that he's 571st overall is a disgrace. He is a top 200 player, absolutely, in my opinion. And he's an absolute gem that Pitt stole right out of SEC country. And he is going to make some SEC recruiting directors look real stupid. And he's going to make ACC offensive coordinators' lives a living hell, when, when he get, when, especially when he grows into his own as a junior or senior. He's going to be a serious problem. Yeah, it's crazy looking at the teams that even offered him because it's like, you know, there are some SEC teams on there, but it's like Arkansas and all this, so it's uh, not not great by any means. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, South, Car South Carolina tried really, really, really hard to flip them recently. 
Did I? Will must That's Will Muschamp wanted this kid really really bad and just too little too late man he missed a gym and listen I I you know I I am on sometimes the fire Gus train I'm on the fire whoever didn't recruit this kid for Auburn train because this go. is a kid that I wish I would have. You know, he might not have boosted our recruiting ranking, but I would have felt real good about him being in the class. But guys, that is a wrap on this episode. Another full episode for you guys, man. Bringing you guys endless college football content. Um, social media, Instagram at the underscore blue bloods, Twitter at the underscore underscore blue bloods, Facebook at the blue bloods pod, our website thebluebloodspod.com. Go check it out. New article out highlighting the best players in the Big Ten for next season. The best players in the Pac-12 dropping next week. Um, You know, we really appreciate you guys listening. Subscribe, rate, all that stuff, you know, for the podcast. We really, really appreciate y'all. Y'all keep listening and subscribing. We're going to keep dropping episodes. You know how it works. But for right now, we out.